Chapter Three, Part Two of Ruggles of Red Gap by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, Part Two. I wouldn't have had this happen for anything," said Cousin Egbert, indicating me. "Lucky I got that knife away from him," said the other. To this I thought it best to remain silent, it being plain that the men were both well along, so to say. The cab now approached an open square, from which issued discordant blasts of music. One glance showed it to be a street fair. I prayed that we might pass it, but my companions hailed it with delight and at once halted the cabby. Alley Caffey on the corner, directed the Tuttle person, and once more we were seated at an iron table with whiskey and soda ordered. Before us was the street fair, in all its silly activity. There were many tinseled booths at which games of chance or marksmanship were played, or at which articles of ornament or household decoration were displayed for sale and about these were throngs of low-class french idling away their afternoon in that mad pursuit of pleasure which is so characteristic of this race in the centre of the place was a carousel from which came the blare of a steam orchestrion playing the marseillaise one of their popular songs from where i sat i could perceive the circle of gaudily painted beasts that revolved about this musical atrocity a fashion of horses seemed to predominate but there was also an ostrich a bearded frenchman being astride this bird for the moment a zebra a lion and a gaudily emblazoned giraffe I shuddered as I thought of the evil possibilities that might be suggested to my two companions by this affair. For the moment I was pleased to note that they had forgotten my supposed indisposition. Yet another equally absurd complication ensued when the drink arrived. "'Say, don't your friend ever loosen up?' asked the Tuttle person of Cousin Egbert. "'Tighter than Dick's hat-band.' replied the latter and then some he ain't bought once say bo he continued to me as i was striving to divine the drift of these comments have i got my fingers crossed or not seeing that he held one hand behind him i thought to humour him by saying i fancy so sir he means yes said cousin egbert the other held his hand before me with the first two fingers spread wide apart. "'You lost,' he said. "'How's that, sourdough? We stuck him the first rattle out of the box.' "'Good work,' said Cousin Egbert. "'You're stuck for this round,' he added to me. Three rousing cheers!' I readily perceived that they meant me to pay the score, which I accordingly did— though i at once suspected the fairness of the game i mean to say if my opponent had been a trickster he could easily have rearranged his fingers to defeat me before displaying them i 
do not say it was done in this instance i am merely pointing out that it left open a way to trickery i mean to say one would wish to be assured of his opponent's social standing before playing this game extensively no sooner had we finished the drink than the tuttle person said to me i'll give you one chance to get even i'll guess your fingers this time accordingly i put one hand behind me and firmly crossed the fingers fancying that he would guess them to be uncrossed instead of which he called out crossed and i was obliged to show them in that wise though as before pointed out i could easily have defeated him by uncrossing them before revealing my hand i mean to say it is not on the face of it a game one would care to play with casual acquaintances and i questioned even then in my own mind its prevalence in the states as a matter of fact i may say that in my later life in the states i could find no trace of it and now believe it to have been a pure invention on the part of the tuttle person i mean to say i later became convinced that it was properly speaking not a game at all again they were hugely delighted at my loss and rapped smartly on the table for more drink and now to my embarrassment i discovered that i lacked the money to pay for this round as they would call it beg pardon sir said i discreetly to cousin egbert but if you could let me have a bit of change a half-crown or so to my surprise he regarded me coldly and shook his head emphatically in the negative not me he said i've been had too often you're a good smooth talker and you may be all right but i can't take a chance at my time of life what's he want now asked the other the old story said cousin egbert come off and left his purse on the hat rack or out in a woodshed some place this was the height of absurdity for i had said nothing of the sort i was looking for something like that said the other i never make a mistake in faces you got a watch there haven't you yes sir i said and laid on the table my silver english half-hunter with albert they both fell to examining this with interest and presently the tuttle person spoke up excitedly well darn my skin if he ain't got a genuine double gazots how did you come by this my man he demanded sharply it came from my brother-in-law sir i explained six years ago as security for a trifling loan he sounds honest enough said the tuttle person to cousin egbert yes but maybe it ain't a regular double gazettes said the latter the market is flooded with imitations no sir i can't be fooled on them boys insisted the other blindfold me and i could pick a double gazettes out every time i'm gonna take a chance on it anyway whereupon the fellow pocketed my watch and from his wallet passed me a note of the so-called french money which i was astounded to observe was for the equivalent of four pounds or one hundred francs as the french will have it i'll advance that much on it he said 
but don't ask for another cent until I've had it thoroughly gone over by a plumber. It may have moths in it. It seemed to me that the chap was quite off his head, for the watch was worth not more than ten shillings at the most, though what a double gazotts might be I could not guess. However, I saw it would be wise to appear to accept the loan, and tendered the note in payment of the score. When I had secured the change, I sought to intimate that we should be leaving. I thought even the street fare would be better for us than this rapid consumption of stimulants. I bet he'd go without buying, said Cousin Egbert. No, he wouldn't said the other he knows what's customary in a case like this he's just a little embarrassed wait and see if i ain't right at which they both sat and stared at me in silence for some moments until at last i ordered more drink as i saw this was expected of me he wants the cabman to have one with him said cousin egbert whereat the other not only beckoned our cabby to join us but called to two laborers who were passing, and also induced the waiter who served us to join in the round. He seems to have a lot of tough friends, said Cousin Egbert, as we all drank, though he well knew I had extended none of these invitations. Acts like a drunken sailor soon as he gets a little money, said the other. Three rousing cheers replied cousin egbert and to my great chagrin he leaped to his feet seized one of the navvies about the waist and there on the public pavement did a crude dance with him to the strain of the marseillaise from the steam orchestrion not only this but when the music had ceased he traded hats with the navvy securing a most shocking affair in place of the new one and as they parted, he presented the fellow with the gloves and stick I had purchased for him that very morning. As I stared aghast at this faux pas, the navvy, with his new hat at an angle and twirling the stick, proceeded down the street with mincing steps and exaggerated airs of gentility, to the applause of the entire crowd, including Cousin Egbert. "'This ain't quite the hat I want.' he said as he returned to us but the day is young i have other chances and with the help of the public-house window as a mirror he adjusted the unmentionable thing with affectations of great nicety he always was a dressy old scoundrel remarked the tuttle person and then as the music came to us once more he continued say sourdough let's go over to the rodeo they got some likely-looking bronx over there arm in arm accordingly they crossed the street and proceeded to the carousel first warning the cabby and myself to stay by them lest harm should come to us what now ensued was perhaps their most remarkable behaviour at the day at the time i could account for it only by the liquor they had consumed but later experience in the states convinced me that they were at times consciously spoofing i mean to say it was quite too absurd their seriously believing what they seemed to believe the carousel being at rest when we approached 
they gravely examined each one of the painted wooden effigies looking into such of the mouths as were open and cautiously feeling the forelegs of the different mounts keeping up an elaborate pretense the while that the beasts were real and that they were in danger of being kicked one absurdly painted horse they agreed would be the most difficult to ride examining his mouth they disputed as to his age and called the cabby to have his opinion of the thing's fetlocks warning each other to beware of his rearing the cabby who was doubtless also intoxicated made an equal pretense of the beast's realness and indulged i gathered in various criticisms of its legs at great length i think he's right remarked the tuttle person when the cabby had finished it's a bad case of splints the leg would be blistered if i had him i wouldn't give him corral room said cousin egbert he's a bad actor look at his eye whoa there you would would you here he made a pretense that the beast had seized him by the shoulder he's a man-eater what did i tell you keep him away i'll take that out of him said the tuttle person i'll show him who's his master you ain't never going to try to ride him jeff think of the wife and little ones you know me sourdough no horse never stepped out from under me yet i'll not only ride him but i'll put a silver dollar in each strip and give you a thousand for each one i lose and a thousand for every time i touch leather cousin egbert here began to plead tearfully don't do it jeff come on around here there's a big five-year-old roan around here that will be safe as a church for you let that pinto alone they ought to be arrested for having him here but the other seemed obdurate start her up professor when i give the word he called to the proprietor and handed him one of the french banknotes play it all out he directed as this person gasped with amazement cousin egbert then proceeded to the head of the beast you'll have to blind him he said sure replied the other and with loud and profane cries to the animal they bound a handkerchief about his eyes i can tell he's going to be a twister warned cousin egbert i better ear him and to my increased amazement he took one of the beast's leather ears between his teeth and held it tightly then with soothing words to the supposedly dangerous animal the tuttle person mounted him let him go he called to cousin egbert who released the air from between his teeth wait called the latter we're all going with you whereupon he insisted that the cabby and i should enter a sort of swan boat directly in the rear i felt a silly fool but i saw there was nothing else to be done cousin egbert himself mounted a horse he had called a blue roan waved his hand to the proprietor who switched a lever the marseillaise blared forth and the platform began to revolve as we moved the tuttle person whisked the handkerchief from off the eyes of his mount and with loud shrill cries began to beat the sides of its head with his soft hat
bobbing about in his saddle moreover as if the beast were most unruly and like to dismount him cousin egbert joined in the yelling i am sorry to say and lashed his beast as if he would overtake his companion the cabman also became excited and shouted his utmost apparently in the way of encouragement strange to say i presume on account of the motion i felt the thing was becoming infectious and was absurdly moved to join in the shouts restraining myself with difficulty i could distinctly imagine we were in the hunting-field and riding the tails off the hounds as one might say in view of what was later most unjustly alleged of me i think it as well to record now that though i had partaken freely of the stimulants since our meeting with the tuttle person i was not intoxicated nor until this moment had i felt even the slightest elation now however i did begin to feel conscious of a mild exhilaration and to be aware that i was viewing the behaviour of my companions with a sort of superior but amused tolerance i can account for this only by supposing that the swift revolutions of the carousel had in some occult manner intensified or consummated as one might say the effect of my previous potations i mean to say the continued swirling about gave me a, a frothy feeling that was not unpleasant as the contrivance came to rest cousin egbert ran to the tuttle person who had dismounted and warmly shook his hand as did the cabby i certainly thought he had you there once jeff said cousin egbert of all the twisters i ever saw that outlaw is the worst wanted to roll me said the other but i learned him something it may not be credited but at this moment i found myself examining the beast and saying he's crocked himself up sir he's gone tender at the heel i knew perfectly it must be understood that this was silly and yet i further added i fancy he's picked up a stone i mean to say it was the most utter rot pretending seriously that way you come away said cousin egbert next thing you'll be thinking you can ride him yourself i did in truth experience an earnest craving for more of the revolutions and said as much adding that i rode at twelve stone let him break his neck if he wants to urged the tuttle person it wouldn't be right replied cousin egbert not in his condition let's see if we can't find something gentle for him not the roan i found she ain't bridle wise how about that pheasant it's an ostrich sir i corrected him as indeed it most distinctly was though at my words they both indulged in loud laughter affecting to consider that i had misnamed the creature ostrich they shouted poor old bill he thinks it's an ostrich quite so sir i said pleasantly 
but firmly determining not to be hoaxed again don't drivel that way said the tuttle person leave it to the driver jeff maybe he'll believe him said cousin egbert almost sadly whereupon the other addressed the cabby hey frank he began and continued with some french words among which i caught Allie Caffey, Foomer, and something that sounded much like Cafoozlium, at which the cabby spoke at some length in his native language concerning the ostrich. When he had done, the tuttle person turned to me with a superior frown. Now I guess you're satisfied, he remarked. You heard what Frank said. It's an Arabian muffin bird of course i was perfectly certain that the chap had said nothing of the sort but i resolved to enter into the spirit of the thing so i merely said yes sir my error it was only at first glance that it seemed to be an ostrich come along said cousin egbert i won't let him ride anything he can't guess the name of it wouldn't be right to his folks well what's that then demanded the other pointing full at the giraffe it's a bally ant-eater sir i replied divining that i should be wise not to seem too obvious in naming the beast well well so it is exclaimed the tuttle person delightedly he's got the eye with him this time said cousin egbert admiringly he's sure a wonder said the other that thing had me fooled i thought at first it was a a russian mouse hound well let him ride it then said cousin egbert and i was practically lifted into the saddle by the pair of them one moment said cousin egbert can't you see the poor thing has a sore throat wait till i fix him and forthwith he removed his spats and in another moment had buckled them securely high about the throat of the giraffe it will be seen that i was not myself when i say that this performance did not shock me as it should have done though i was of course less entertained by it than were the remainder of our party and a circle of the french lower classes that had formed about us give him his head let's see what time you can make shouted cousin egbert as the affair began once more to revolve i saw that both my companions held opened watches in their hands it here becomes difficult for me to be lucid about the succeeding events of the day i was conscious of a mounting exhilaration as my beast swept me around the circle and of a marked impatience with many of the proprieties of behaviour that ordinarily with me matter enormously i swung my cap and joyously urged my strange steed to a faster pace being conscious of loud applause each time i passed my companions for certain lapses of memory thereafter i must wholly blame this insidious motion for example though i believed myself to be still mounted and whirling indeed i was strongly aware of the motion i found myself seated again at the corner public-house and rapping smartly for drink which i paid for i was feeling remarkably fit 
and suffered only a mild wonder that i should have left the carousel without observing it having drained my glass i then remember asking cousin egbert if he would consent to change hats with the cabby which he willingly did it was a top hat of some strange hard material brightly glazed although many unjust things were said of me later this is the sole incident of the day which causes me to admit that i might have taken a glass too much especially as i undoubtedly praised cousin egbert's appearance when the exchange had been made and was heard to wish that we might all have hats so smart it was directly after this that young mr elmer the art student invited us to his studio though i had not before remarked his presence and cannot recall now where we met him the occurrence in the studio however was entirely natural i wished to please my friends and made no demur whatever when asked to don the things a trouserish affair of sheep's wool which they called chaps a flannel shirt of blue they knotted a scarlet handkerchief around my neck and a wide-brimmed white hat with four indentations in the crown such as one may seen worn in the cinema dramas by cow persons and other western coast desperados when they had strapped around my waist a large pistol in a leather jacket i considered the effect picturesque in the extreme and my friends were loud in their approval of it i repeat it was an occasion when it would have been boorish in me to refuse to meet them halfway i even told them an excellent wheeze i had long known which i thought they might not have heard it runs why is charing cross because the strand runs into it i mean to say this is comic providing one enters wholly into the spirit of it as there is required a certain nimbleness of mind to get the point as one might say in the present instance some needed element was lacking for they actually drew aloof from me and conversed in low tones among themselves pointedly ignoring me i repeated the thing to make sure they should see it whereat i heard cousin egbert say better not irritate him he'll get mad if we don't laugh after which they burst into laughter so extravagant that i knew it to be feigned hereupon feeling quite drowsy i resolved to have forty winks and with due apologies reclined upon the couch where i drifted into a refreshing slumber later i inferred that i must have slept for some hours i was awakened by a light flashed in my eyes and beheld cousin egbert and the tuttle person the latter wishing to know how late i expected to keep them up i was on my feet at once with apologies but they instantly hustled me to the door down a flight of steps through a courtyard and into the waiting cab it was then i noticed that i was wearing the curious hat of the american far west but when i would have gone back to leave it and secure my own they protested vehemently wishing to know if i had not given them trouble enough that day 
in the cab i was still somewhat drowsy but gathered that my companions had left me to dine and attend a public dance-hall with the cubbish art student they had not seemed to need sleep and were still wakeful for they sang from time to time and cousin egbert lifted the cabby's hat which he still wore bowing to imaginary throngs along the street who were supposed to be applauding him i at once became conscience-stricken at the thought of mrs effie's feelings when she should discover him to be in this state and was on the point of suggesting that he seek another apartment for the night when the cab pulled up in front of our own hotel though i protest that i was now entirely recovered from any effect that the alcohol might have had upon me it was not until this moment that i most horribly discovered myself to be in the full cowperson's regalia i had never intended to wear the things beyond the door and could not have been hired to do so what was my amazement then to find my companions laboriously lifting me from the cab in this impossible tenue i objected vehemently but little good it did me get a policeman if he starts any of that rough stuff said the tuttle person and in sheer horror of a scandal i subsided while one on either side they hustled me through the hotel lounge happily vacant of every one but a tariff manager and into the lift and now i perceived that they were once more pretending to themselves that i was in a bad way from drink though i could not at once suspect the full iniquity of their design as we reached our own floor one of them still seeming to support me on either side they began loud and excited admonitions to me to be still to come along as quickly as possible to stop singing and not to shoot i mean to say i was entirely quiet i was coming along as quickly as they would let me i had not sung and did not wish to shoot yet they persisted in making this loud ado over my supposed intoxication aimlessly as i thought until the door of the flowed drawing-room opened and mrs effie appeared in the hallway at this they redoubled their absurd violence with me and by dint of tripping me they actually made it appear that i was scarce able to walk nor do i imagine that the costume i wore was any testimonial to my sobriety now we got him safe panted cousin egbert pushing open the door of my room get his gun first warned the tuttle person and this being taken from me i was unceremoniously shoved inside what does all this mean demanded mrs effie coming rapidly down the hall where have you been till this time of night i bet it's your fault jeff tuttle you've been getting him going they were both voluble with denials of this and though i could scarce believe my ears they proceeded to tell a story that laid the blame entirely on me no ma'am miss effie began the tuttle person it ain't that way at all you wrong me if ever a man was wronged 
you just seen what state he was in didn't you asked cousin egbert in tones of deep injury do you want to take another look at him and he made as if to push the door farther open upon me don't do it don't get him started again warned the tuttle person i've had trouble enough with that man to-day i seen it coming this morning said cousin egbert when we was at the art gallery he had a kind of wild look in his eyes and i says right then there's a man ought to be watched and well one thing led to another just look at this hat he made me wear nothing would satisfy him but i should trade hats with some cab driver i was coming along from looking at two or three good churches broke in the tuttle person when i seen sourdough here having a kind of mix-up with this man because of him insisting he must ride a kangaroo or something on a merry-go-round and wanted sourdough to ride an ostrich with him and then when we got him quieted down a little nothing would do him but he's got to be a cowboy you seen his clothes didn't you and of course i wanted to get back to Addie and the girls but i seen sourdough here was in trouble so i stayed right by him and between us we got the maniac here he's one of them should never touch liquor said cousin egbert it makes a demon of him i got his knife away from him early in the game said the other i don't suppose i got to wear this cabman's hat just because he told me to have i demanded cousin egbert and here i'd been looking forward to a quiet day seeing some well-known objects of interest came from the other after i got my tooth pulled that is and me with a tooth too that nearly drove me out of my mind said cousin egbert suddenly i could not see mrs effie but she had evidently listened to this outrageous tale with more or less belief though not wholly credulous you men have both been drinking yourselves she said shrewdly we had to take a little he made us declared the tuttle person brazenly he got so he insisted on our taking something every time he did added cousin egbert and anyway i didn't care so much with this tooth of mine aching like it does you come right out with me and around to that dentist i went to this morning said the tuttle person you'll suffer all night if you don't maybe i'd better said cousin egbert though i hate to leave this comfortable hotel and go out into the night air again i have the right of this in the morning said mrs effie don't think it's going to stop here at this my door was pulled to and the key turned in the lock frankly i am aware that what i have put down above is incredible yet not a single detail have i distorted with a quite devilish ingenuity they had fastened upon some true bits i had suggested the change of hats with the cabby i had wished to ride the giraffe and the tuttle person had secured my knife but how monstrously untrue of me was the impression conveyed by these isolated facts 
I could believe now quite all the tales I had ever heard of the queerness of Americans. Queerness, indeed. I went to bed resolving to let the morrow take care of itself. Again I was awakened by a light flashing in my eyes and became aware that Cousin Egbert stood in the middle of the room. He was reading from his notebook of art criticisms, with something of an oratorical effect. Through the half-drawn curtains I could see that dawn was breaking. Cousin Egbert was no longer wearing the cabbie's hat. It was now the flat cap of the Paris constable or policeman. End of chapter 3, part 2